some stones saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit they say they want the kingdom but they don't want God in it yeah I went with nothing nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't tune in on television now, they can go to our website at www.hotm.tv and click on the streaming video and watch the show live from anywhere in the world. Of course, our archives are there as well, and they can watch any of the past shows. Click on it, pick the show, and you're watching away. Four hours before the program aired last week, we were sitting in a meeting and there was a, an explosion and a lightning flash and a telephone pole with the transmit, uh, transformers blew up outside and it cut all the power to the station completely. There seems to be uh, mounting opposition and this is why we didn't have the show last week. But we understand that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, right? So speaking of mounting opposition, uh, we have uh, been presented with a number of very difficult circumstances of late. Our station manager and program director, Denny Ermel, uh, was supposed to go into the hospital for a routine operation that was supposed to be an outpatient, so to speak, and that was uh, over a week ago, and he's had further complications, and so we ask for your prayers for him, as well as a good brother, Balthazar and Logan, who supports the ministry. Um, fell over and is in a critical, critical uh, state of emergency in a hospital up in Ogden now, has a young family, and just pray that your, uh, that your prayers will go out to, for Denny, for Balthazar, and for all those uh, who um, are struggling right now. Hey, our ministry has expanded and we are going to be doing a Bible study called the Ezekiel Project. Uh, Wednesday nights beginning May 6th from 7 to 8 p.m. in the Ogden area. That's Wednesday nights, May 6th. Uh, Pastor um, Marcus Maher is going to be uh, holding that. He's a great teacher. And so we would challenge you to go to www.ezekielproject.tv and learn the Bible there. We also meet Sunday verse by verse for Bible studies. So uh, once in the afternoon here in Salt Lake, once in the evening in the Logan area. Yeah, after you've attended your local churches, come join us if you want to uh, learn the Bible verse by verse. You can go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information. And everybody is welcome. Don't worry about it. We just teach and talk. There are a number of very good websites out there. We love them all. Uh, we just want to remind you of ours. Uh, we have all of them prefaced with www, so we have bornagainmormon.com, we have hotm.tv, we have calvarycampus.com, and we have the ezekielproject.tv. Also, we highly recommend and always have highly recommended www.utlm.org. You want information? If you have questions about anything to deal with Mormonism and you want verifiable data, go to utlm.org as a place for all your LDS research needs. Our ministry has strived very hard to love all people of every lifestyle, every religious choice, while at the same time, standing relentlessly for biblical truth. These lines can be easily blurred in resulting in people mistaking things. For instance, because we relentlessly present biblical truth, some people say we lack love. And then some people say because we love all people of all faiths, all religions, and all lifestyles, that then we don't support biblical truth, and this is just not the case. 
Our position at Aletheia Ministries has always been we love, accept, and embrace all people, no matter what they believe, how they live, or the choices they choose to make in their lives. We firmly believe this is a Christian call. Uh, in our ministry, this attitude is especially applied to the Latter-day Saints because this is who we speak to primarily. We refuse to condemn any individual person to hell, uh, leaving that decision in the hands of Almighty God. Hard as it is for some people to believe, however, is that because of this love for all, we are going to relentlessly and unapologetically attack all heretical doctrines and philosophies, uh, especially Mormon doctrine, history, and present-day practice. Just as a loving doctor must at sometimes cause pain in order to heal somebody, or a dentist must cause discomfort uh, to get rid of decay in, a, in the mouth of a patient, we too, in our stance for biblical truth and the love for the LDS, are not going to back off on a relentless drive looking at their doctrine and their practice and their history. Now, most LDS label us anti-Mormons, and we have never ever been anti-Mormon, ever. And I want you to really understand that. Now you might be sitting there laughing and saying, you are a liar or whatever, but we are not anti-Mormon, but we are certainly anti-Mormonism. And there's a difference. When the prophet Elijah was upon the earth, he challenged the double-minded children of Israel saying, how long will you stammer between two opinions? The people had a knowledge of the true and living God, but were under the sway of the pagan priests of Baal. Elijah challenged these priests to kind of a, a, a duel, so to speak, between the gods. Elijah said, listen, uh, I'll, I'll, take a, I'll take a couple oxen and I'll slay them and I'll put them on uh, an altar of wood and, and uh, call down my God to light this, this altar on fire and burn up the offering. And you do the same thing. And so the prophets of Baal, these false prophets, said, fine, let's do it. And so they, they slay two oxen, and they put a bunch of wood down there, and they start singing and dancing. And, and all day long, it says, till the noon hour, they are praying to their false god. And, and it's so ineffective, they start slashing themselves and, and cutting themselves, thinking maybe shedding their own blood is going, to, is going to bring this god to bring the fire down from heaven and light it on fire. Nothing happened. Now, how did Elijah, and this is the point, how did Elijah respond when their God remained silent? Did he respond with ecumenical courtesy and fumbling dialogue? Did he say, well, it's okay, you know, let's, let's, have, let's have, uh, extend some patience and love towards your false God? No, he didn't in the least. He started mocking and the word says mocking their God, their false gods. Why? And now listen very closely. He mocked their false gods because all false gods deserve to be mocked before the true and living God. All right? Now, this isn't popular today. Uh, Ezekiel, he goes on and uh, he, I mean, Elijah, he goes on and he says in 1 Kings 18, 21, to these priests as they're praying and cutting themselves, he says, listen to this, cry aloud for he is a God. Maybe he's talking or maybe he's running after something. Perhaps he's on a journey. Peradventure he sleepeth and he must be awakened. Of course, the false God of Baal failed. But the point is, Elijah got right in their kitchens about the God they worshipped, proving to the children of Israel that they had in their possession a knowledge of the true and living God. There was no political correctness involved. There was no dialoguing going on so that there could be an exchange of the things that they had in common. It was point blank. This is it with Elijah. Isaiah had a similar uh, uh, attitude. Daniel, Jeremiah had similar attitudes. John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul, Peter, all the same thing, a similar attitude. They went after the false and vain religions and religionists of their day and never treating dead and false religion with kindness and uh, respect. Aletheia Ministries stands on the same platform. We share brutal truth because we love 
and care about you. And with that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we lift up this station. We lift up those who are suffering, those who are involved in the ministry, the ministry itself. Anyone who's searching for truth, Lord, we pray that you will open their eyes and ears, that their heart may understand. Lord, bless our technical aspects tonight, our volunteers, and all who are watching here, YouTube, internet, streaming, studio audience in their homes. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's April, and we are in the midst of discussing church history in Brigham Young in order to effectively present the Mountain Meadows Massacre, which is coming up. I have had to step back, and I'm rereading several very important books about the subject, and it's going to take a few weeks of preparation. So in the meanwhile, I want to present to you a recipe. Are you into recipes? Get a 3x5 card out if you want. Get a pencil. I want to give you a recipe for what we call Mormon cake. Now, have you ever had Mormon cake? It is delicious to the taste and very desirable. Mormon cake appears as a beautiful dessert food. It is gorgeously appointed. It is master masterfully baked, frosted with all the appeals of modern religious society and adorned beyond compare. Mormon cake consists of 14 non-biblical ingredients. Like all recipes, these ingredients are added together and mixed in a specific order. Then they're baked at a certain temperature for an exact period of time, then slathered on with thick celestial frosting. Each of the 13 or 14 ingredients are essential to making real Mormon cake, and the order in which they are added together are legendary. Now, I'm going to present to you kind of a process which you may not have thought of before that the LDS kind of present. Now it happens through the missionaries discussions and it's this process that they lead you down the road of mixing together this cake. So see if you can recognize. So get your pencils ready and let's go through it. And I'm going to give you the ingredients first and then I'm going to talk about some of them and we'll go to a break. The first ingredient which perhaps represents the largest ingredient in the Mormon cake is the teaching that there is one true physical church on the face of the earth. The second ingredient is that this true church was lost in a worldwide apostasy and uh, shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven. The third ingredient is uh, that this one true church was then restored back to earth by one Joseph Smith Jr. The fourth ingredient is that with this restored religious institution came a restored priesthood. Now let all of this sit at room temperature for a few days and right after you add in a thing called a restored priesthood. First Joseph Smith restored the true church, then he says he restored a true but false priesthood to the mix. And in that priesthood comes the sixth ingredient or the fifth ingredient which says in this priesthood comes apostles and prophets. After that, the sixth ingredient is a truly special seasoning. It says a person can know the truthfulness of all these things by feelings which exist outside of the biblical truth. Then you immediately add in a seventh ingredient, which is a cup of warm certainty regarding certain mysteries that are not addressed in the Bible. The eighth ingredient you add in to all this is a legacy of persecution. Then the ninth ingredient states that if you are going to partake in this true church, there are things that you must do to then return or go and live with God. By doing and observing these things, the 11th ingredient says you are then found worthy to enter into a restored temple. And then when you enter in that restored temple, the marvelous thing about qualifying for it is that you are then enabled to have your wife or husband sealed to you forever and your children and families can be together forever. But wait, at this point, some people might say, a lot of this isn't in the Bible, is it? But this brings us to the uh, 12th ingredient, which says you can't really trust the Bible. This 12th ingredient leads us to the 13th ingredient, which says because you can't trust the Bible, there are other books and revelations that are necessary for you to understand truth. Take all this together, 
throw it in with a shot of pride, and then take the mixture and bake it for 24-7, 365 days a year in a special Jesus is not enough oven. And what do you get from that? One of the most addictive, pernicious, counterfeit spiritual foods ever served to man. Fun to eat? Maybe. Tasty? Mm, sure. But lacking in the necessary nutritional value required to sustain eternal life. Well, let's examine these ingredients before going to the phones. Ingredient number one, the first one is the LDS teach, and this is the, the, the biggest ingredient, that there is one true church physical edifice on the face of this earth. This was the errant question that Joseph Smith's grandfather, his uncle, his father, and Joseph Smith himself was trying to discover throughout most of their lives. What is the true church? It was all part of a restorationist movement of the early 19th century headed up by men like Alexander Campbell. They wanted to see the primitive church of Jesus Christ restored in its fullness. The question is wrong from the get-go and it sets the stage for a life of spiritual inaccuracy. My good friend RJR says, we shouldn't ask what church is true or Joseph shouldn't have asked God as he says he did, which is the true church? He should have asked God, what is truth? But instead he asked the wrong question from the get-go. The Bible teaches that the uh, church is built of believers and not of a single religious institution or building. It says that believers are like stones that make up this physical edifice, and that since Christ came, God does not dwell in houses that are made with stones, but within individual believers themselves. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles, not apostles, the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit." Peter further clarifies this point in 1 Peter 2.5. He says, ye also as lively stones, lively stones. We're not talking about dead stones of granite building a physical edifice, but lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. This is where the priesthood comes in to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, the writer, probably Paul, wrote about houses. And he said that Moses was over his house. And then he speaks of the Christian house and says in Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house are we? Okay. If we hold fast in confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm until the end, the question should never have been, should never be, what church is true? The missionaries go, knock on the door. We want to share a message with you about the true church on the face of this earth. Well, somebody who's unknowing and doesn't really understand might think that makes sense. What is the true church? That has never been the question. Who are the true believers should be the question. And so they set up a false premise from the beginning. As believers in him, we make up his church. There may be some of you sitting in LDS meeting houses who are part of this spiritual building. You are brothers and sisters with brothers and sisters who are in the Pentecostal church, the Baptist church, or some not even in a church. Some, some woman who's sitting in a hut reading the Bible who's been spiritually born again. This is what makes up the house of God, the church of God, nothing else. The second uh, bit of the uh, recipe is that the true church was established on the earth and it was lost to a worldwide apostasy. In the face of this second falsehood, let's remember the biblical definition of the church of Christ composed of men and women and true believers. You got it? So off this first premise that the true church is a physical edifice, um, they posit another false argument that this edifice church fell into worldwide apostasy. 
The likelihood, now this is important, the likelihood that a single standing edifice, meaning an institution, would fall into apostasy is very great. And when men are involved, this would happen. So the LDS premise of a word, worldwide apostasy seems, in this context, fairly reasonable. But let's be clear here. When Mormonism is speaking of a worldwide apostasy, it is talking about Catholicism. It's talking about the Catholic Church fell into worldwide apostasy because what they say is this was the true edifice church. It fell apart. They were wrong from the beginning about what the church is. Biblically speaking, the LDS suggestion that a worldwide apostasy occurred is frankly ludicrous. First, we know that the church is made of believers. Are they trying to suggest that there was no spirit-filled believer on the face of the earth from the time the Holy Ghost came at the day of Pentecost and filled up believers and that spread like wildfire during the Pax Romana and all these people were reborn and regenerated and that all of that died, the Holy Spirit didn't have the ability to keep the church going? Are they suggesting that? Yes, they are. Second, the Holy Spirit renews and corrects errant teachings within misdirected followers. So we know that this constant work that was started at Pentecost, believers in Christ, are then cleansed by this Holy Spirit and redirected, not needing an edifice or an, a top-down authority to direct the church, but that the Holy Spirit is in charge of moving this church forward. The LDS ignore that. Third, Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. With 1,500 years of prophetic history leading up to his birth, life, and death, 12 apostolic witnesses, Jesus Christ personally trained to go out and share his message where he is the chief cornerstone. The Holy, go, Holy Spirit comes the day of Pentecost and fills true believers' hearts, making up the spiritual body of this church, and the LDS said it failed. How dare they say this? How dare those missionaries knock on the door and tell people that Jesus' work failed, the Holy Spirit failed, and that Joseph was needed to come and bring it back. Now, the missionaries' favorite verse, or one of the favorite verses they use, is in 2 Thessalonians 2.1 to support this argument that there was this worldwide apostasy. What the missionaries do is preface their reading of this passage with a discussion that states that shortly after Jesus left, the apostasy occurred, and then they said, have you ever heard of the Dark Ages, Mr. Jones? And Mr. Jones says, yes, I have. And they say, well, the truth was taken complete, completely from the earth during the Dark Ages, and God loves us as much today as he did then prior to it happening, so we needed to have a restoration. And then they quote 2 Thessalonians out of context, which says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the quote they use, and then they talk about this falling away. And out of context, they talk about how there was this falling away first. Listen to the context of the verse. Paul is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ here. Believers at the time thought he was going to be coming, and he's talking about the second coming. So instead of starting with that singular verse, let's say he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. So he's speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ, all right? And then he continues, don't be soon shaken in your mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, no, nor by word, nor by letter from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. So he says, don't let these people running around saying, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, rile you up right now. Don't let this happen. And then he says, let no man deceive you by any means. This day is not going to come. Jesus is not going to come, except there comes a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed as the son of perdition. This is speaking of the last days before Jesus comes, not shortly after the church fell into apostasy. And, and Paul says, look, when Jesus comes again, there is going to be a, a falling away, not a worldwide apostasy. You're going to have true believers that are going to start falling away. It's going to be a sign of Jesus' approach is near. And at that time, we're going to see who the Antichrist is, the man of sin, the son of perdition. He's going to pop up. When you see these things, then you'll know that the second coming of Christ is near. Speaking to the, uh, of this Antichrist, Paul says in verse 4, speaking of him, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God 
or that is worshipped. So that he, as God, sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So it perfectly paints the picture of the last days when uh, some uh, Christians are falling away. Not a worldwide apostasy. This antichrist comes. He says, worship me, I am God. And Paul says, when that happens, you can know the end is near. The missionaries lie. That is a lie that they tell people. And they have been taught to lie by the priests of Baal that are sitting there in the church and teaching them what to say. It is not the truth. My friends, the third ingredient, and we're going to, I don't know what the time countdown is, the mica clock's off, but uh, the third ingredient is that this church had to be restored back through a man named Joseph Smith. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. We've spent three years talking about Joseph Smith, the better part of three years on him. Watch the shows, but perhaps the most important part of this ingredient is this. It suggests that Joseph came and did what Jesus could not do. Uh, that God sent Jesus to atone for sin, but it took Joseph to step in and truly establish this edificial church. Do you believe that? Let me tell you something. The LDS will often say, don't tell me I worship Joseph. We don't worship Joseph. We worship God and we worship Jesus. We don't worship Joseph. Joseph Smith, ask a Latter-day Saint, is Joseph Smith necessary for your exaltation? And if they're honest, they would have to say, absolutely. Meaning Jesus' work on the cross and what he did in establishing his church was not enough. Joseph was necessary to re bring back the restored church and then establish these temples and their rites and rituals in order for Latter-day Saints to become worthy to be exalted in God. Uh, so don't let that happen. In the book of uh, Revelation, God, Jesus is speaking of the church at Philadelphia. Now this is, these talks about all these different churches at different times in the history of the church. And at this time, the church was very weak. Christians admit that church history stinks. Christians admit that the church got weak. But this is what Jesus says about one of the weakest moments when the LDS church says there was an apostasy. Jesus says to the church at Philadelphia, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. There has always been a remnant that God has left on the earth from the children of Israel to believers. So even when we went through the dark ages and times were tough, there was a remnant. Jesus speaks about a remnant church that has little strength. Nevertheless, his church did not have the gates of hell prevail against it. Finally, uh, we'll cover tonight the fourth ingredient that is uh, covered is uh, in this restored church, as they say, a priesthood came with it. Watch our shows. You can go on our archives and look up uh, uh, Melchizedek priesthood. You can look up Aaronic um, uh, priesthood. And we explain how there was no priesthood restored to the face of the earth. Read Grant Palmer, LDS. Read his book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins, which goes into exactly how Joseph rewrote the chronology of how he supposedly got this priesthood restored back to the face of the earth. It's a false priesthood, and I'll tell you why. We know from the book of Hebrews that there is one high priest. In the temples of old, the high priest used to go in one time a year, offer blood sacrifice for the children of Israel, but Hebrews says, Jesus, once and for all, not repetitively every year, once and for all offers his own life, and now he enters the Holy of Holy in heaven, and he is our high priest. We respond to him. You don't have a bunch of high priests sitting around in high priest group who are high priests. You have Jesus Christ, and we rely on him to go before the Father with his blood as the propitiation for our sin, to cover and pay for our sin, and that is the high priest in whom we trust. So we're going to stop it there, and I just want to tell you, we're going to go to a brief break, but let me introduce the phone numbers to you. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. If you have a question or comment, we'd love to hear it. Please make it brief. Keep your TV sets turned down. If you're LDS, we'd love to hear from you. And we want first-time callers only. Now, we're going to go to a spot in just a second that we pre-recorded. It's with great difficulty we show this spot. But we're going to do it because we have to. So uh, if it's all geared up, let's see it now.
Hi, my name is Sean McCraney. I'm the host of Heart of the Matter and the founder of Aletheia Ministries. Uh, when my wife and I started Aletheia Ministries about six years ago, we underwrote all the expenses ourselves. Over the course of time, many of you have unsolicited uh, come alongside of us and supported us, and we thank you so much uh, for doing that. Uh, however, we've reached a point in the ministry where actually by the end of June of this year, uh, Aletheia Ministries, uh, heart of the matter, will cease to exist because of our financial situation. We can no longer subsidize the expenses ourselves. So uh, I really hate doing this. If you've watched the show, you know we are not about uh, money and finances. We've been on three years and we've never ever uh, done that and tried to solicit you to, your funds. But what we would like you to uh, at least consider is to partner up with us, become a heart of the matter partner, H-O-T-M partner. And um, our board of directors have come up with this plan, so to speak, to come alongside God in this ministry and, um, and help us bring more people to the a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our ministry has seen an abundance of fruit, and we've seen many people come uh, to the Lord as a result of God's ministry here uh, in Utah. And so we just want to introduce to you the HOTM Partners concept. Uh, you can go call 888-868-HOTM. That's 888-868-4686. It's a toll-free number. And you can get uh, ask, leave a message, or speak to an operator and get a brochure on how to become a partner. Or you can go online, www.hotm.tv, and become a partner right there online. So we need you now. It's urgent. And I know all television ministries say that, but it is. And we place this in God's hands and yours. God bless you. So while the operators are uh, taking your calls, the lines are full, but if you get a busy signal or a recording, just keep trying. I'll answer some emails that we have here and wait to put them up on the screen. From Ginny in Key West, Florida, in, uh, interesting distance, maybe watches the show on YouTube. What are some things to uh, talk to the Mormon missionaries about? Well, I want you to know that, uh, in my opinion, if, if you were to sit next to me on an airplane and you were LDS, what I would talk to you about would be very different from what I talked to you about here on the show. This is for a broad-based audience to hear a bunch of facts and decide to research them yourself. But if I was talking with a person next to me on a plane, I would talk about being born again. Have you been born again? I, I know you're LDS, let's just leave that alone, but have you been born again? And, and then they usually talk about whether they have or haven't. And then you can kind of uh, understand what it means to be born again with them. However, one-on-one, uh, -on -one, I do have an exception to that, and that is with missionaries. Missionaries are out there to uh, get you to join their church. Full-time, two years, this is what they do. And, so, and they will say almost anything to get you to do it. And uh, we have plenty of emails with evidence of this. So with missionaries, it's no holds bar. I would use anything that you hear on the show, anything you see at utlm.org, and plant seeds in those missionaries' heads to go and research their religion. I like to talk to missionaries when I'm driving my car and I see them riding their bike. I like to kind of pull over at a light and roll my window down and say, Elders, how you doing? And they're, you know, all friendly and nice. Doing good, how are you? Doing well, Elder. Hey, how many wives does Joseph Smith have? One. No, Elder, guess again. How many do you think? He had one, we know it. No, he had more, Elder. What would you think? How many do you think Emma knew about, Elder? Huh? How many? Would you believe me if I said he had 31 wives that Emma didn't know about? Why would the guy who founded your church, Elder, have 31 wives that his own wife didn't know about? What would you think of me or your bishop who had wives that his wife didn't know about? And what would you think if two or three or four or five of them were teenagers? What would you think if some of those teenagers lived in his house with him in this trusted relationship of helping the family and suddenly Joseph married him secretly? Hmm, Elder? Throw down on those missionaries. There's all kinds of information you can get. Question them, corner them. You can also talk to them about grace and works. They have this admixture of grace and works. We're saved by grace after all that we can do. If you're saved by grace, of course you have to do something. They, all, they, they just cannot understand grace. And so I would go to the scripture where it talks about if, if you're saved by grace, it cannot be of works. And if you're saved by works, it is not of grace. Those two are mutually exclusive. And so I would talk to them either about one, being born again. That's the soft 
approach that you take with them to try to consider that. Two, I would talk to them about the Grayson Works thing. And three, I would just throw down on them and get them to really seriously go home and say, I don't know if anything's true I've ever been taught before. And then uh, you can help uh, shake it up. Now, you LDS are going to get mad at me for that, but we do it out of love. Uh, we have Michael in Salt Lake City, first time caller. One more uh, quest, uh, question from Robert in Flagstaff, Arizona. Neither you uh, nor any other anti-Mormon will stop the progress and growth of this church. It is true, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I want you to know, Robert, there is something that I and that other Christians can do about it. We can refuse to embrace the non-Christian doctrines that Mormonism is with great effort and money trying to put out there in this world today that we are Christians. There's websites, there's material, there's, there's general conference stuff about Christians. They refer to themselves as Christians, as Christians. They, their doctrines are not Christian. So we can do that. That's one thing we do. The second thing we can do is we will not, uh, we may not stop Mormonism any more than we stop sin from occurring. And Mormonism may grow to be a superpower on this earth. So has many governments. We don't care. But we can share with people who are searching for truth, the biblical truth of Jesus Christ, and we can pull them out, Robert. So while you may view us as a failure because we're a small television ministry and we don't have the power and money and, and, and strength that you have, we know that, one, the Lord uses weak things, and we know that people matter and that we can reach people with the truth because we have, and they've walked away from this religion that you think is so omnipotent. Let's go to Michael, Salt Lake City, first-time caller on line two. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hey, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for take, taking my call. You're welcome. Um, just, um, I, w I left the LDS Church uh, 30 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, um, after having that, uh, you know, force-fed on me since birth. And uh, um, I've got a lot of issues from that. I've spent the last 30 years undoing... Uh, the damage of all that, and uh, today I'm just furious with uh, Joseph Smith, um, and it's left me not knowing what to believe. You know, I I find it difficult to believe in anything now. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess I'm uh, learning uh, about the Nicene Creed now, and um, I want desperately, so desperately, to believe it uh -huh. and the Bible. But it all sounds so preposterous to me, yeah. and uh, you know, I I just don't know what to believe. You Michael, know, I, yes, are, are, have you had a chance to attend any organized church service in Salt Lake? I go to St. Anne's. Okay, uh, is that a Catholic church? Yes, I see. Uh, have you have you had a chance to attend one that is a Bible teaching church, not just? St. Anne's may teach the Bible in classes, but from the pulpit goes verse by verse or, or has strong topical messages about Jesus Christ? Um, no, I have not. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of churches. If you stay on the line, uh, uh, one of our operators will come back and give you a few that you might try out, Michael. Uh -huh. And it's not, uh, not that you can't find Jesus out in the middle of the wilderness without a church, but reading the Bible is one thing. But I want to tell you something. My heart goes out to you, and you are the audience that I personally seek for, Michael, because the LDS Church practices a scorched earth policy. What they, do to, what they did to your heart is they said, we are the absolute truth, Michael, and you have to believe everything. And then if you don't, you are dead. There is nothing right. You are gone, and it leaves you with no hope. And I hate that about the LDS Church. Yeah. So there is hope, Michael, and the Lord Jesus Christ is there. And he, you don't need me in between you. You don't need St. Anne's or some Christian church. You need him. So have you gone to him and said, Lord, forgive me. Show me yourself. I'm a sinner. I need new life. I want to be a new creature. Have you done that? Yes, I have. Okay, well, trust in that. Now trust in it and follow it up with reading the word. Open it up to John. Read that. Relax in him. Not stress in him to fight, but relax in him and trust him. And I promise you, Michael, as you continue to search, he will reveal himself. He knows when he should with you. Yes. Another thing, uh, I see how well the LDS Church has integrated itself into mainstream. Yeah. It's not the same religion it was early on. Yeah. You know, it, it, the way... They were seen back then is 
much the same way we see the FLDS today. Yeah. And, uh, um, and you know, and I can't help but think, you know, if one religion can sanitize itself and its history um, this well in less than 200 years, how much more can a, another religion sanitize itself and its history in over 2,000 years? Yeah. And it's just, it, what Joseph Smith has done to me is he's just complicated um, any way of me believing in anything. But Michael, this, is, this goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier. The church is not made of an institution, and the institutions certainly have sanitized their history. To quote Chuck Smith, church history stinks. And there has been a lot of ugliness that has gone on in early church history. But believers like the Anabaptists and all these believers who have come through the fire and have given their life and lost their lives, and yet their relationship with Christ was preeminent, they are not false, Michael. And when you join that group of people, you're not belonging to a, a denomination or an institution. You're belonging to his true church. That's what Satan wants to keep you from, as belonging to that true church. And that's what we want you to do. Don't care, Michael, where you go to church, if you accept church history, the early founding fathers, any of that. Yeah. Okay? And so I, there is hope. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry. I do apologize, but uh, <laughs> you all... You all seem like religious freaks to me. Yeah, you know, I know. And, I am. I, I don't am. trust any of you. I don't right blame now. you. I, I don't blame you. I, I wouldn't trust me either. But at least hear what, I mean, you're having some people say, you have to come to this church and be baptized by us, and this is the only way, right? And, and at least you're hearing from me, I don't care where you go to church, Michael. At least you're hearing from me, you go to God in your own room, on your own accord, and you talk to him. And yeah. you give your life. How, how could, how, what vested interest do I have in that with you? Yeah. But and I, I, am a, I am a freak. I'm a, I'm a fool for Christ. Yes. Yeah, so I admit but, that. But uh, right now I do um, trust fully in uh, the love, mercy, and justice of God. I do, you know, absolutely. Awesome. But, um, I don't, you know, I, I just can't trust uh, mortals right now. Well, that's probably a good place to be. Don't trust mortals, Michael. Keep on your search. Look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thanks for the call. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. God bless you. God bless you. We're going to Cody in West Valley, first-time caller. That was a great call. Cody, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So I'm a baby Christian, if you will. Um, I've just got a couple questions for you. Okay. Um, my first question is, Mormons tell me that God has a body, and then they bring up the uh, verse in Genesis where it states, God, was, God created us in our own image, in his own image. So can you explain that a little bit to me? Cause, yeah. Uh, you, some people think that's anthropomorphically speaking, that, and the Mormons use that. God created us in his image. I have a body, therefore God has a body. When God says that, and this backs up the idea of three in one, the Trinity. God is three beings in one, three personages in one being. Okay, one God and one God only, three personages. Well, you're constructed the same way, Cody, and so is your friends and so is your family and whoever. You, are, you consist of a body, you consist of a soul, which is the suke, which is the mind, will, and emotions that make Cody, Cody, and you consist of a spirit. That's three in one person, all right? And that is how you were made in God's image. He, he composed you three in one. And he are also given the ability to reason and to think and to be able to act on the spirit, the flesh, the body, the soul, all those things. And that too is in the image of God through the characteristics that he embodies. So where an animal doesn't have that special spiritual place where it needs to be born again and can act and have a relationship with God directly and worship God, you can being created in his image. Does that help you? That does. Awesome. Um, my other... My other question I had for you is, um, in the Bible, it does state that there are temples during Jesus' time. Um, why don't we have temples now? I mean, the Mormons do, but Christians don't. It's a great question. A great question. Listen, the temples of old were established in order to uh, do animal sacrifices and for the high priest to take the blood of those animals and to go into the Holy of Holies where God dwelled and would visit, 
and offer that blood up as a covering for the sins of the children of Israel. Not to pay for it, but just to cover it. When Jesus came and died and his blood was spilt permanently, the veil of that temple, and that was the, that was the curtain that the high priest would go through and no one else could go in there, God ripped it from top to bottom saying, no more do we need these edifices, uh, any, no, no longer, no priesthood, no place for blood to be offered because Jesus did it once and for all. And now what the scripture says is we have become the temple. You, Cody, because you've accepted Jesus Christ, you have been cleansed by his blood, and now God dwells in you and not in a, in a building made with hands. Does that make sense? That does. Awesome. Um, and, and my last question was, do you need to be baptized to go to heaven? No. The thief on the cross was not baptized, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That being said, there, uh, being baptized was something that Jesus did. And I think being baptized is a great identifier with being a Christian. So when you have an opportunity and you truly want to follow Christ, you are going to do the things that he tells you to do. And that's in the Bible. But it has nothing to do with you going to heaven. If it did, there would have been a baptismal font next to the cross. Okay, cool. And I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I was talking to one of my Mormon friends today, and she was fixated on the idea that Mormons are Christians. But yet I also heard that in their own temples, they mock Christianity. Yeah, and you are right on one of the many dichotomies of Mormons saying they're Christian. That in their temple, they have a guy who mocks Christianity. In their history, they mocked Christianity. They never wanted to be part of Christianity before until now. And I think, of course, it's going to be more money and it's going to be more inclusion. But, but I, think, uh, I think we lost Cody. I think uh, it's because they want a Mormon in office and they need the Christian vote. And uh, that plays right into their need for worldwide power. So that's my... Well, we don't have a call there, so let me read another email. Uh, if you want to call, we do have one line open, and the operators are working on the other. So just keep trying through. From Raul in Provo, Provolone, uh, he wrote, this is great. I know the church is true. I know the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and the Bible are the Word of God. I know Joseph Smith is a prophet. I know the church is led by a prophet, living prophet today, Thomas Monson. I know that Jesus is the, my redeemer. I know that you are wrong. I know that you lie. I know that you are evil. <laughs> well, I want you to know something, Raul, and that is I know one thing and one thing alone. I believe many things. I propose many things. But I know that salvation in every sense of the word that means living with God in the highest place, salvation, comes by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, period. That's what I know. So I am going to go. I'll take my last breath. Let's say someone came on the set and held a gun and said, do you really believe that? Yep, boom, dead. I'm going to go with that belief, that faith. And I will, I will bet everything on that premise that Jesus is enough. You, Raul, are going to go before God and you're going to say, God, I believe Jesus suffered for sin, but I believed I had to do this and I had to do that and I'm a high priest and I've got the priesthood and I've been through the temple and the new and everlasting covenant and I paid my tithing and I uh, obeyed the Sabbath day and I served my neighbors and I wore a white shirt and yada, 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 yada. And I, I, we're going to see what you really know, okay? I will stand before Jesus with him and him alone. You stand with all the things you know, okay? And we'll see how it plays out in the end. I know there are people watching, or I believe there are people watching, who want to have this relationship with Christ. Well, when they take their last breath, they can say, it's all about you, Lord. It's all about Jesus, and I have trusted you completely and fully. I'm sold out to Christ. You can have that. And that is the difference between me and Raul. We're going to Arthur in Orem. Arthur, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, right, John. Hi, Arthur. I was wondering if uh, someone made you a promise that if you didn't cut your hair, you wouldn't die. If so. <laughs> You know, kind of like a Porter Rockwell thing. Sorry, it didn't work. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> it was a good try, though, Arthur. No, I, the hair uh, thing is, is, is all symbolic for church history. It'll be cut in 2010, and uh, it's going to be a great moment in my life. Let me tell you, I'm tired of eating hair in the night. So what's <laughs> happening? Uh, not much. I was gonna, you was talking about Michael to go to a... Uh, Bible teaching Christian church? Yeah. 
uh, I was talking with my pastor one time, and I said, you know, if a non-believer or somebody that was searching would just show up for four services, like in a row, yeah, they'd get, I mean, 90% of it would be explained to them, and, and they would, you know, really become close to believing. And one lady that I know had actually happened to, she went to three church services and one woman's breakfast, and she prayed to receive Christ. So, well, so that's, uh, that's kind of the Arthur uh, <laughs> model for success. Four yeah. services is all we ask. Four services. Go to a Wednesday and a Sunday and a Wednesday and a Sunday and and not with a not with your Mormon heart, but or not you know, someone that's actually seeking heart and Okay, amazing. so we'll we'll throw that out to the audience. You got that audience? <laughs> Give it a challenge. Where, wasn't there a commercial where some guys who sold nuts said, All one can is all we ask. All we ask you to do is go to four services. Arthur yeah. says a Sunday, a Wednesday, a Sunday, a Wednesday. Now uh, and check that out. But you know, I got to tell you, there are plenty of great churches in the state of Utah with pastors who love the Lord, serve the Lord. They do everything they can to help you understand him. We could give a laundry list right now. And in fact, it's most of the churches in Utah. I will say this. It's most of them. There's a couple that it's not based on my experience, but most of them. So you can pick a church and just go. And you might go and find that there's a church that you don't really like. The music doesn't suit you. Well, that's understandable. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Latter-day Saints, you like the idea, I know, that you can, it's like the McDonald's factor. Anywhere you go, the McMuffin is going to be the same. And so any ward you go to, you take great comfort in this reliability. But the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ and his church is that he allows the diversity of everyone's creations to express themselves in worship in a different way. Some people like to clap. And some people like to lift their arms. Some people like to fold their arms quietly. There are churches that are very reserved. You have to find what you appreciate in, in, in what's going on in that church and let the Lord guide you and lead you to that place. Does that help out, uh, Arthur? Oh, yeah, that's great. And all the churches I've been to in Utah have been wonderful. Awesome. For sure. Thanks so much. We're going to, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. We're going to Lori and Logan. Lori, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Lori. Hey, I just have one thing to add to your recipe at the very, very end. What's that? I want to make a note to please note this cake may taste very, very bitter, so you may actually have to shove it down people's throats. And oh. enjoy. <laughs> no, I called tonight, too, to church, Sean. Um, I don't know what's, what the deal is with the message, but I, I can't bear the thought of Heart of the Matter being over in June. Um, and so I called and got an address. Um, to awesome. do my part, and, and I hope um, that all of our viewers, or all your viewers, would do the same. Well, thanks so much, Lori. You know, it's a community event, and uh, we'll see what happens, but appreciate your call. And that's a really good point on the, uh, it's so bitter they have to shove it down your throat. That, you know, and the sad part is that, that I can count on one hand all the people, I just moved to Utah a year ago, that know the truth and that will speak the truth, and you're one of them, and you just have the power to reach so many people on TV there, so... Uh, praise God. Thanks so much, praise Lori. God. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Had a Ralph write and ask. We're waiting for the operators to call. We're going to get to Lori in a second. Keep calling through, uh, even if it's busy. But had someone say, how did Joseph Smith write the Book of Mormon? We've talked about it many times. A couple of resources to go to. www.hotm.tv. You can look at the Book of Mormon. We did seven shows, seven hours on how Joseph Smith put the Book of Mormon together. You want to take a simpler version and just look at some facts about it, go to utlm.org. You can go click on Book of Mormon, and you'll have plenty of information right there about the content and context of the Book of Mormon. One other thing, there's a book out now through Zondervan by Pastor Ross Anderson. It's an excellent book about the Book of Mormon, and it would be a great book that you could give to a Latter-day Saint that just kind of goes through and gently talks about the Book of Mormon relative to the Bible. It's not as hardcore as some of the things I've said or that you might find out there. We're going to Ladu in Salt Lake City. First time caller. Uh, Ladu, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, man. How you doing, John? I'm doing well, Ladu. Hey. Hey. I'm happy to talk to you, man. Hey, my question is uh, uh, from Matthew to John, and can any LDS can heal that and need to read it? The Bible, uh, Jesus say that I'm the I'm the one 
I'm the last. Nobody can come use my name. Anybody can use my name. He's a stealer and a liar. Yeah. You know, they're going to read all those descriptions uh, and they can understand what they don't believe a man. The God say, don't believe men, believe me. You believe, believe a man, you are a sinner. You know, but uh, I'm saying this to to here, to LDS, they need to believe how uh, Jesus' word is. Don't believe anybody. Amen. Hey, Latu? Latu? Yes. Uh, are you a Christian man? Yes. And are you Samoan or Tongan? Yes, I'm Tongan. Hey, uh, in your native tongue, will you just share 30 seconds with the Tongan listeners about what it means to be a Christian versus a Mormon? 30 seconds, Ladu. Yeah. Tell them in your language. <laughs> yes. Hey, um, go, uh, LDS, Kodobe, Kemofanongo, Molawi, I, I, Matthew. To Sione, uh, Matthew, Luke, Mark, John. You guys read that. They said, Jesus say, I am the last. I am the one. Anybody come, um, use my name. Anybody like that, they can be stealer, you know. And it's still from you guys that are liars. Anyway, John, and I see last week at the, uh, the, um, not your show, the, um, uh, the other show. The, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, so uh, this is Lucky. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, we'll, we'll have to have you on the show sometime, Ladu. Yeah. Okay, God bless you, my friend. Okay, John. Thank you very much, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. We're going to Elijah. On, I hope Ladu didn't get me in trouble with the Tongan community. That is a rough group. Uh, let's go to Elijah uh, from Murray. Elijah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Elijah. How old are you? Ten. You're ten years old? Yeah. Awesome. What's happening? Um, I just want to call you because... I, I can't hear you very well, Elijah. Um, I just wanted to call you because your show is really cool. And I like what you talk about. Thanks. And um, I will... I watched September Dawn. September Dawn? Yeah. Yeah? And like how it's about the, how it's about the Mountain Meadow Massacre? Massacre, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I get like made fun of at school because I have a speech problem. Yeah? Like all the Mormons tease me. They do? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Elijah. If you have any real trouble, you let me know, and uh, I'll come down there and handle them for you. Okay. Yeah, because any, anybody who messes with Elijah is messing with me. Okay. Unless, of course, they're Tongan. <laughs> well, I just want to say you're a cool guy. Well, you're a cool guy, and you know what? I don't notice anything about your speech that's bad. I think your, your speech is beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. You take care, Elijah, and I love your name. Okay. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. We're going to Martin and Boise. It says line one. Line one is not lit up. Martin and Boise. I'm going to try line two. Martin, are you on the air? Martin? We're having some technical difficulties. Hi, this is Sean. You're on the air. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Good. You have literally 30 seconds. I'm sorry. Okay, I just wanted to know how you, how you keep referring to the uh, thief on the cross as him going to heaven. Yeah, he did. <laughs> well, when he was at the tomb, when, when Mary visited the tomb, and uh -huh. the Savior, um, she went to hug the Savior after resurrection, uh -huh. the Savior said, Touch me not, for I have not yet sent it to the Father. Yeah. The fa so so paradise is not where the Father is. I, I didn't say that. I said he ascended into, the thief on the cross was in heaven. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That is true. Now, I'm not saying the Father was there, but because uh, Jesus hadn't ascended yet, but we know that paradise was the place that would be uh, Abraham's bosom. And we know that was the place of heaven for the Old Testament until the, the final sacrifice was made. So there is no difference between paradise and heaven there. 
None. Well, sure, there, sure there is. If the Savior for those three days did not go to... Uh, We're out of time, dude. I'm sorry. We're out of time. We'll see you next week here in Heart of the Matter. That... my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my Gonna break my rusty cage